0: Well, I just got to drum this morning, which was one of my favorite things to do at Westside. Uh, I started drumming and Amy started playing the keyboard almost exactly 30 years ago. Uh, so we, our first Sunday playing together was the same Sunday. I think it was Easter Sunday. Somewhere around there. Anyway, it was around 30 years ago. Uh, so when I first started playing the drums here at Westside, um I would, we, we would, you know, be playing the music and, and the first Sunday I remember after I played, uh, an older guy came up to me and he said, Oh man, I love it when you're playing the drums. I love it that you're playing. I was like, Oh, cool. Thanks. I'm 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 glad, you know, that's great. But we used to do this thing uh, before the service started. We have this little prelude. You guys remember this? Cindy would be playing the piano. Amy would be playing the keyboard. My dad would be playing the bass and I'd be on the drums. And this guy, Dave Nelson was his name would come up to me and he'd say, you gonna play the drums this morning, brother? And I'd be there like, yeah, like I, I am going to be play, I, I am currently playing the drums. And he was just so encouraging. He's like, oh man, I love it when you play the drums. Let's worship the Lord. And I just thought, man, this guy loves the drums. I had no idea that when I started playing the drums at Westside that that was not like, Not everybody thought that was such a great idea. But my impression from Dave Nelson was that old people must love the drums. I still think that, so don't tell me otherwise. But um, the, the idea is that Dave's encouragement to me came from a heart that was overflowing with God's love. And because of that... He encouraged me so much, to the degree that it took me many years to figure out that I don't know that Dave actually loved the drums. He just loved me. Uh, we're talking this morning about the encouraging church, and... We can talk about the encouraging church, but there's some some groundwork that we have to do first. See, in order to become an encouraging person like Dave Nelson was, it presupposes a couple things. Number one, it starts with the gospel. We must start with the gospel, believing in the right gospel. As we have the right gospel, then we talk about our environment in, of growing. We have to have an environment that that shows the truth of the gospel and then when we have that encouragement, I want to encourage. I want to say today, encouragement is natural. So uh, I plant trees, as many of you know. That's what I do for a living. Um, and we get the cu- the question from customers in the office all the time. So what do I do to have a healthy tree? Now these are people oftentimes who have moved from a very harsh environment, like north dakota and they like i don't i i have to have a healthy tree i don't know what are the tips what are the tricks and so what i tell them often is if you could break it down really simply into three things number one is if you start off with a healthy tree now i know that sounds like a kind of duh but i think it is important to at least notice that you don't try to plant a dead tree and expect it to grow a whole lot right so you want to plant not only a living tree but a tree that is healthy it has to be a healthy tree in order to grow. Uh, the second thing is the environment in which you plant it. Now, the environment in which you plant a tree, there's all kinds of things there. There's sunlight, having enough sunlight and water and all that stuff. There's also a really important thing for trees that is the soil. So trees, uh, take up what is in the soil. And some, a lot of times there's great stuff in the soil. That's what's great about living in the Pacific Northwest. Everything grows here. It's kind of the Goldilocks zone of growth. And a big part of that is because of our soil. Now, there are also some really bad things that can be in soil. And you can take a very healthy tree, put it in bad soil, and the tree will become infected with verticillium, some kind of fungus, whatever is growing in that soil. So you have to be careful That the soil is healthy. But if you've got a healthy tree, you've got a good environment, then growth is natural. And my point this morning is this, is this. It's the warmth of the gospel that draws us into authentic community. We're going to be talking this morning about gospel culture. See, we're gonna, we're gonna start just very briefly touching on what makes the healthy tree, what makes us right, and that's going to be the gospel. Secondly, is what is the environment, and I believe that this is where we sometimes get it wrong. And I want to encourage us to, to have a healthy environment for trees to grow here. And then, that encouragement, which is gonna be the last couple verses that we look at, that becomes actually quite natural. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it is quite natural. Uh, the, the warmth of the gospel draws us into community, into authentic community. Uh, some of the guys here, um, uh, uh, Herb and Dwayne and Paul invited me to go hunting with them, which is really fun. We went bow hunting a couple times. They, they still go. I don't. Cause I'm a little bit like, you know how stormtroopers are comically bad at hitting things? Like they have terrible aim. That's kind of me. I make stormtroopers look like sharpshooters, so I've missed everything I've shot at. Uh, thankfully, nobody has been injured, I don't think, by what I've done. Um, but one of the things is when you're hunting in central Oregon, the Ochoco Mountains, it's pretty warm during the day, but the temperature drops quite quickly, and we sit around a campfire at night, and what you find with all these manly men is... It's kind of cold out and there's a campfire and we kind of start, I don't want to say snuggling, that's overselling it. But, you know, we're kind of close to each other. Um, and the truth is, it's it's that way with the gospel. The, the warmth of the gospel invites us in to that authentic community. So we're going to look here uh, in our passage is Hebrews 10. We're going to go 19 through 25. And I'd love to invite you to turn to it if you've got it. If you don't have it, it's up there as well. Um, And in this this passage, the author of Hebrews talks about the healthy tree, he talks about the healthy environment, and he talks about the natural growth. And so we're going to start here in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God... Okay, that's a long sentence. The, this guy is just able to get away with whatever he wants to grammatically. Uh, I don't think that he was homeschooled, so uh, nobody was checking his work. Anyway, this this guy, there's a long run-on sentence here, and this is what I want to say about it. Uh, so for us, we look at this, many of us, and we're like, what on earth is this about? Uh, this is written to, at the time some brand new Jewish believers in first century who are very familiar with Jewish customs. For those of us who are less familiar with it, it requires a little explanation. So he says that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and then we we come through the curtain, or through the veil, that is his flesh. Now, what we need to see is to understand a little bit about what this is representing. Now, in the Old Testament... Way back, uh, out of all the nations of the earth, God chose Israel. And he said, all these people are worshiping all kinds of false gods in all kinds of false ways. And what I want you to do, I want you to be my people who worship the true God in the right way. So what that meant is our because our sin separates us from God... Sacrifices were required to make atonement for the sin. And so these, their priests who represented Israel, they would take the sacrifices, make the sacrifices, and go into that place where that priest is standing right there. And they would, they would, you know, sprinkle the blood and do the thing, and they did that all the time. But there was one place, if you look, it's to the left of where he is now, and I don't know if you can see that big blue thing with the two angels on it. That's a curtain. It's a big, thick curtain. And right inside that curtain, if you see on the left, Indiana Jones was looking for it. It's the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a picture of the special presence of God. And what we need to understand is that curtain separated. It kept everybody out. It was saying you can't come in because of your sin. You can't come in near to the true presence of God. Except one time a year, a high priest would go through, it's called the Day of Atonement, and he would take blood and he would sprinkle it in, go into the Holy of Holies, through the curtain. Now, what I love about this passage is that if we have that understanding a little bit, it helps us see it in a little bit clearer eyes. We have confidence to enter where? The holy place? Are you kidding me? Like, I am not a Jew, I'm not a Levite, I'm not a high priest. Norwegian Dan can come into the presence of God that was closed off for thousands of years. Are you kidding me? That is good news. That is good news. We can come through, we come through the the veil or the, the torn curtain, that's Jesus' flesh, Jesus fulfilled this for us as our high priest he went in he was the sacrifice he was the priest and he went in and when Jesus died on the cross you know what happened to the curtain in the temple a few blocks away it was torn somebody say amen to that and so now we can come through Jesus right up into the presence of God and I believe that is such good news and if we start with that that will change us that will change our church So we draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What this is saying is we are truly clean. We are truly acceptable before God because of what Jesus has done. I don't know if that strikes any of you as crazy. This is God who is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God sees every single thing in me, every single thing in you. The things that you don't want other people to know about, God knows that. And yet, through Jesus, he invites you to come into his presence. Are you kidding me? How do I sign up for that? We're to hold fast, we're to uh, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We're to hold fast this confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promises faithful. This is where we're going to talk about our gospel culture. This is why we're going where we're going to talk about our confidence before God leads to the right relationship we should have with one another. Um, We can be confident because he who promised is faithful. It's not about our performance. It's about what Jesus has already done for us. We're secure forever in the presence of Christ. And that's really good news. And what that means is if we are acceptable before God with all of our faults, all of our failures, all of our rebellion, we can start to accept one another if we're confident in that. But here's where things get a little risky. It's when our cup is not overflowing with what God has already done for us that we start to look to other people to fulfill what only God can do. When you are not confident in God's love for you, you will seek from other people what only God can provide. And when we do that, we are expecting too much. And we hurt the people around us. Rather than be a blessing, rather than be an encouragement, we hurt the people around us. The confidence that we share creates a healthy environment for growth. So what does that produce in us? So we're called to to, to let us do things. Uh, it's the the three things. It's the salad of Hebrews. It's let us draw near, let us hold fast, and then let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are told that we can draw near. Check. We're told that we can hold fast. We're told to hold fast. Check. Now what about this next part? This is where things get a little bit shaky. And that's because I believe too often we have talked about the gospel and about what God's call is as God and me. And the truth is the gospel is not just God and me. It's God and we Y'all uh, doesn't rhyme. God and y'all. God and we all. I don't know how you say that, but but here's. This is part of the gospel. This is part of like the the a right response to the gospel is that we would consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. See, the Christian life begins. With confession and repentance. It begins when we say, okay, God, you are right about my sin. You're right about, uh, about that, that I was wrong here and I'm not trying to hide it anymore. It starts with that and it continues with that, with us confessing our sins to God, repenting of our sins. So the, here's the thing is, if this is the kind of environment that, that the gospel creates, why is it that some of us are really hesitant, then, to be honest about who we are? 1 John 1.7 says this. Um, it says, if we... Uh, I actually completely forgot what it says. I, I started thinking of earlier in the book. Sorry. Can't we afford a better preacher than this? Um, okay, uh, First John 1.7 seven. But if, oh, there, sorry. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, what does that mean? Does that mean that we live sinlessly perfect? No. What it means is that we are not trying to hide it. It means that we are no longer trying to hide. Now, it might mean that you're no longer trying to hide your sin from God. But I think this is pretty clear. It also means we're not trying to hide our sin from one another. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we're not trying to hide our sin. We have fellowship with one another. Us and God, us and one another. But what happens with our sin? It says it right there which I needed to read again the blood of jesus his son cleanses us from all sin so the question is why would we hide i think there are some reasons why people do feel very uncomfortable being vulnerable with one another some of us here at west side have shared in a small group a struggle said, man, I, I just got to be honest. This is what I'm struggling with. You were vulnerable, shared it with your group. But then later on, you hear somebody else that wasn't in the group talking about that problem. That will erode trust. That is not a good soil in which a tree should grow. That's gossip. And it's wrong. There are other people who have shared questions that they've had, like, man, I don't know what I think about this. Maybe it's not quite so much a sin struggle, but just an honest question. Man, I don't know what I think about, like, creation. or I don't know what I think about Jesus rising from the dead. Or maybe that, how, how did we get the New Testament anyway? I, I got questions about that. You know, this should be a safe place. A good environment means it's a great place to ask those questions. But sometimes we have been not such a great place to ask those questions. And sometimes the answer to those questions has not been a gentle, kind thing. It's been a steamroller. Boom! Shouldn't have asked that question. So guess what happens? They don't ask any more questions, and they just leave. That's not a good environment. Some others have been so heavily criticized, maybe inside the church, maybe outside the church. We've been so heavily criticized that we are just so afraid of opening up because we think that what we're going to get from everybody else is condemnation. And so everywhere we go, our guard is high. And you're not going to see me. I'm not going to see you either, but, uh, that's okay because I'm safe. Here's what I want to say to those kinds of people. First off, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That kind of behavior, treating people without gentleness, harsh criticism, treating people with, with, you know, with gossip, that is not in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not how we came to faith in Jesus. That's not how Jesus treats us. So I want to say first, I'm, I'm sorry. That should not be representative of His church. But sometimes it is. And if I'm honest, I've been a part of that too. And saying, I'm sorry, doesn't make it all go away. Doesn't make it better. But I think it's important to at least say out loud that that kind of environment is not what Jesus wants for his church. I think also we need to remember we're following Jesus. We're following Jesus. Who is attracted to Jesus? Was it the people who had all their stuff together The people who had all the answers? Was it the harsh critics? Was it the people who loved to steamroll others? No. The people attracted to Jesus were the ones who were desperate, who knew they were broken. They didn't know how broken they were, but they knew they were broken. Westside, if we are to be built on a rock if we're to be the church that Jesus wants us to be, we have to be a good environment for people to grow in. We can't infect the trees planted here with all kinds of bad things. God save us from that. I want to encourage you, if, if that is you, um, if, if you are a person who's been hurt by others, because church hurt is real. I want to encourage you, if, if you've been hurt by somebody else, I want to encourage you, one, that there is healing in Jesus' name from that. You are not broken forever. You are not defined by that. But the church hurt is real. And maybe you need to prayerfully seek reconciliation with a brother or sister. And I want to also encourage you, maybe jumping into a life group and just blah about everything in your life isn't the best first step. You don't start running by just going to a marathon. Um, maybe the right step for you, though, is to find one person. You find one person who follows Jesus that you can be real with. I love the way Ben Stewart says it. He's like my favorite guy. But he says, um, you need to have somebody where all the lights in your house are on for. All the lights of your house are on for. Maybe you need to find one person like that. Well, um, yeah, but, oh gosh, I'm like nine slides behind. Um, okay, we're just skipping all that stuff. It was okay. Uh, what does gospel culture look like versus gospel theory? Here's what I want to get into kind of the nuts and bolts a little bit about. We're still talking about the, the environment in which we grow. Gospel, in gospel culture, there is encouragement. And it's awesome. Have you experienced that before? Have you experienced it where there's true encouragement? That's awesome. But where the gospel is just a theory... You see criticism. Criticism abounds there. Where the gospel is believed and it's taking root and it's growing in someone's lives, in, in a church's life and it's defining the local church, you see gentle exhortation. It's always done with gentleness. But where the gospel is just a theory, you find harsh opposition. Boom. You're wrong. I win. In a gospel culture, and I love this one, Romans fifteen seven. Or, nope, it's 15, man, I need to learn my Bible. Um, the, uh, it's, it's somewhere in Romans 15, but it says, outdo one another in showing honor. I, that's... I don't know if I read that verse until the last five years or so, but it was like that, that hit me like a lightning bolt. Whoa, outdo one another in showing honor. That means the one place that we are told to actually compete with each other is in how much honor can I show you in a gospel culture. That's what happens. We say, oh, man, I just want to say, man, Mark did such a great job playing the guitar. It's so beautiful. I love it. I just want to lift him up. Somebody else says, oh, man, I just want to lift that person up. We're trying to outdo one another in showing honor. But where the gospel is just theoretical, we're just trying to outdo one another. You see the difference? In a gospel culture, there's confession of sin to one another. When the gospel is just a theory, it's gossip. Where there's gospel culture, there's authenticity. We can take our masks off around each other. We can be real with each other. But in uh, where there, the gospel is just a theory, where we say we believe it, we might say I believe in the gospel, and we confess it with our mouth. But our lives go and say the very opposite thing. I know that might be hard to believe, but we're hypocrites. And so many of us, we say with our mouth something that we totally unsay with our lives. And so what we need is not to try harder at saying the right thing. We don't just try harder to be like Dave Nelson. Just, if I could just be more encouraging. No. We must look at the gospel and let the beauty of the gospel transform us from the inside out. And then we could be like Dave Nelson. (laughs) Actually, will be like Jesus, where the gospel is uh, is defining the culture. There's forgiveness, but bitterness where it's just a theory. Finally, reconciliation is our church defined by a people of reconciliation. Or are we more defined by broken relationships? The healthy place that Jesus designed us to be is where there will be reconciliation. Where gospel culture is absent, the antidote is to go back to the truths of the gospel until they saturate our attitudes and behaviors. When we lose the wonder of the gospel, we lose gospel culture. When we lose the wonder of the gospel, we're going to lose gospel culture. So we're going to look Quickly now! In the last nine minutes, at the uh, the three ways that the author of Hebrews tells us to um, that that we ought to act. This is where the the growing is right. So we've talked about the gospel culture. We talked about the tree. Now we're talking about the the fruit or the the, the growth. The so number one is let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. This means that we are to think. About one another if we're confident before the presence of god in our standing if when our cup is overflowing then we can be thinking about how can i help other people grow have you ever thought about that man what does this brother need right now you're thinking this brother needs preaching lessons uh, but so but maybe somebody else Let, let's, so but you you think about man what does this brother or sister need how can i best help them this is a natural outflow when we have a gospel culture. We're looking to encourage one another. We're thinking about each other. One of Westside's core values here is that we are relationally growing, and that is because we were, like Kennedy said this morning, we are not designed to grow in isolation. We're meant to grow together. And and one thing I'd love to say about this too, as we consider how to stir one another up toward love and good deeds, um, uh, you don't need to be an expert in something to help somebody we kind of live in a society now and i i don't want to say too much about this but like where we all kind of think you just hire the professional oh man i'm struggling a little bit with video game addiction addiction oh let me hire the let me hire the professional and, and and i'm not saying anti-professional anything like that i guess what i'm just saying is like you know we can say something to each other though right you don't have to be an expert in everything to help somebody Maybe a terrible example of this is, um, you all know our brother David Jones, right? The, the big guy with a big beard. So David is one of my training partners at Jiu Jitsu. One of the things I love about David when we first started training together was that uh, I was a brown belt, he was a white belt, and uh, when we first started training, he was willing to give me honest and open feedback. So, for example, sometimes, you know, you're drilling something right, and actually these two guys here know, you shoot in for a double leg takedown, and your partner just flops. That gives you zero help, right? If your partner just goes, oh, okay, you're taking me down. Um, so, but with David, I would go to take him down, and if you've seen David before, you know, not an easy guy to take down. So, uh, shoot in on him, and kind of go, ir, ir, like that, and he goes... Hey, it seems like you're not like penetrating deep enough and you like, you need to really, you know, step around and, you know, do that. Oh, okay. Thank you. He was totally unafraid to give me feedback. Now, David could say, well, Dan has been doing this for a lot longer than I have. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But you know what he told me is he told me this is what it feels like when you're doing it to me. And you know, you don't need to know everything that there is to know about. A critical spirit. To hear somebody complaining all the time. And to to say like, Hey man, seems like you're complaining a ton. Is everything okay? We don't just say, Well, that's the elder's job. That's somebody else's job. We can step in with one another. We should be thinking about How can I show love to one another? How can I help my brothers and sisters grow To be more like Jesus? And that assumes something. It assumes one of Westside's other core values is that we have humility in everything because it takes humility to hear some feedback that you really don't want to hear. But if we'll be humble enough, maybe we can hear it and maybe we can grow. Number two, the second thing he says is don't neglect meeting together. as is the habit of some part of close relationships. That is crucial is being together. Right? I mean, hello. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, I know that I'm very boring. I didn't realize I was that boring. But anyway, um, yeah. Part of, I mean, part of it is just showing up, right? I mean, we're called to show up for each other. It's great to show up on Sunday morning, man. We're glad you're here. It's great to show up at life group. That's awesome. We are glad that you're there. But it's more than just showing up for our events. It's showing up for each other. It's grabbing coffee with one another. It's going to each other's sporting events. I think we have somebody playing in the state championship here soon. Yeah, right? So it's all of Westside going to watch Emily play. No pressure. Um, but no, it's, it's those kinds of things where we are showing up for one another. So many of us are so busy doing chasing pleasures, chasing hobbies, maybe chasing our our kids' things around. And if we're honest, maybe some of us have kind of neglected meeting together. And I don't want to turn this into a guilt trip, but I just want to encourage you to ask, maybe maybe to ask God, God, am I meeting with others as much as you want me to? Not as much as I feel like, As much as you want. And maybe we also need to ask God, instead of saying, well, I would totally draw near to the community if it was more like me. Um, This might sting. It is easy to be friends with people who are just like you. And it doesn't take the gospel. There's no miracle there. I hang out with a bunch of 46-year-old dudes who love jiu-jitsu and are kind of family people. That's easy. What is different is when there's somebody significantly older from a different culture, different language, different hobbies, different likes, different personalities. When we hang out together, it takes the gospel to bring us together, right? That's a miracle. And maybe we need to stop just dreaming about what we wish our community was like and start plugging in. Gospel community doesn't start when somebody else starts. Gospel community starts when we start. Yeah. Number three, we are to encourage one another. Encouragement definition is to stand next to someone and say something. I, I'm landing the plane here, promise. Uh, so it's it, rather than saying something to somebody, like talking to somebody, it's standing alongside and saying something to, to them. It's saying something to build them up. It's saying something to help them. And you know, what? sometimes we um, sometimes we, we we think of encouragement as just like. Fluffing somebody up, like there is such a thing as, as doing that, which is it's bad, and that's called flattery. Flattery is when I tell you something nice to get something from you. Encouragement is when I tell you something to give you something. Westside, we need to be an encouraging church. We have every reason in the whole world to be encouraging to one another. We have been set free from our sins. We have an anchor in the presence of God through Jesus. We can be real about who we are. No masks, no hiding. We can walk in the light together. That is awesome. We have every reason to be an encouraging church. This week, I would love to encourage you as we head out the doors to think of two people, not just two people maybe who are easy to encourage, maybe think of two people that you really think these people need encouragement. Find two people this week. Maybe send them a text. Maybe talk to them here in one and a half minutes. Whatever you do, find two people. We are to be the encouraging church. So West Side, let's get to it. Let's encourage one another and build each other up. Amen? All right. So Lord, I thank you so much for your good news that has changed us from the inside out. We thank you that we have an anchor a hope for our souls. Lord, help our cups to so overflow with your love for us that it would just overflow to those around us. Help us to be the church that reflects the character of our great God. In Jesus' name, amen.